So Jesus is trending. He is trending and everyone is following him. He is in a house and in this house he is preaching. But as he preaches, the roof of the house begins to shake. And chips are falling from the roof. Everyone covers their head. There is confusion. There is commotion. But then a section of the roof opens and four men are seen lowering a paralytic on a mat right where Jesus is. This event is recorded in Mark chapter 2 from verse 1 to 12. We are told that a few days when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Word had spread around, and they gathered in large numbers, such that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Four men, four friends, I call them friends. They come bringing a paralytic on a stretcher or a mattress or a bed. Mark does not tell us where they are coming from. He only tells us that they are coming to see Jesus. They want to bring their friend to Jesus. We don't know the relationship between them, but we know they had one, they have one goal in mind, and that is to get their friend to Jesus. But as they get to this house, they couldn't get through. The house was packed. The Bible says that the crowd stopped them. The crowd could not allow him to get to Jesus. The crowd is an obstacle for these four friends. It's a hindrance. Almost everywhere in the Bible you see the crowd, it stops people from getting to Jesus. When Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, he could not because he was short, but also because of the crowd. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus Christ was passing by and he shouted, crying to Jesus, asking him to have mercy on him, the crowd 
silenced him. The crowd has been popular or famous for stopping people from getting to Christ. Be careful when you are following the crowd. Someone said sometimes the majority means all the fools are on the same side. So these four men hit a dead end, carrying their friend. Now let me ask you, what would you do if you, when, when you hit a dead end? These four men, at this point, they must make a decision, either to return home with their friend, to carry him back, or drop him at the door, leave him there, or do something else. And we can forgive them if they decide to carry him back. They have tried their best. We can forgive them if they decide to leave him there. They have, they have done what they can. And they can also encourage themselves and say, probably it is God's will that we don't get to Jesus. But they don't. They don't give up. Instead, they walk around the house, take the staircase upstairs, and they begin to dig through the roof. They are committed into getting their friend to Jesus. They just won't give up. How far are you willing to go? To make sure that those who are lost here about Jesus. How far are you willing to go so that people can know Christ? How far are we willing to go as Christians to point people to Jesus Christ? You know, friends who know Christ are friends that can point people to Christ. You want your children to have friends that know Christ. We want friends that know Christ to be around us, people that can remind us of our faith, people who will point us to Christ when things are not going so well, people who can encourage us in the Lord. We want those kinds of friends. We need them. <laughs> but we also need to be those kinds of friends. Friends who know Christ are friends 
who can point people to Christ. These friends, because of their commitment, they find a way and they bring their friend to Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, see what happens here. In verse 5, Jesus says, the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, the actions of digging through the roof and lowering their friend to Jesus reflects their faith. Jesus looks up because all attention now goes to this man. He looks up, he sees what they are doing, and the Bible says when he saw their faith, Jesus interpreted their actions as actions of faith. And when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The right word actually here is child. Jesus is endearing. He is loving. He's being compassionate and kind. He sees the faith and he responds to that faith. Your sins are forgiven. So the paralytic is forgiven, but he is still paralytic. He's still paralyzed. He's still on his mattress. And this statement, this declaration that he's been forgiven brings confusion. I think the four friends were confused because they have brought their friend to Jesus to be healed, not to be forgiven. I can hear them saying, Jesus, he needs healing, not forgiveness. Please, we don't want to carry him back. <laughs> but inside the house, we also have another group of people. Theological heavyweights. The Bible calls them Pharisees and the scribes, teachers of the law, who are sitting there thinking to themselves. You know, people followed Jesus for different reasons. Some followed him out of curiosity. Others followed him because they loved his teachings. But we have a section of people who followed him with an investigative mission in mind, waiting for him to contradict their statement of faith, waiting for him to contradict their theological position. The Pharisees and the scribes belong to that group. 
So when Jesus says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, it disturbs them. They don't speak out, but they think. We are told in verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves in verse 7, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They are disturbed. They are saying that if Jesus can forgive sins, then he is God. But as far as they are concerned, he is not God. And therefore, by claiming to have authority to forgive sins, he is blaspheming. That means he deserves to die. Blasphemy is a capital offense. And Jesus knows what they are thinking. <laughs> Just as he knows what we are thinking right now. He knows our thoughts, our good thoughts, and our bad thoughts. Remember, I said here, every time we sin as Christians, we sin in the presence of a holy God. Because he is always with us. Jesus is right here in this room. They are thinking, accusing him in their thoughts, and he can hear and even see their thoughts. Immediately in verse 8, Jesus knew his, in his spirit, this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Which is easier? See, as far as, far as the Pharisees and the scribes are concerned, healing was possible. Because almost all the prophets that came performed the miracle of healing. So it wasn't strange for someone to heal. It just proved that this person came from God. They had no problem with healing. Their problem is the forgiveness of sins, which is God's prerogative. No prophet claimed to forgive people their sins. Jesus is doing that. And so Jesus says here, he asks them a very good question, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up, take your mat, and walk? 
And then he says, in NIV, which is what I'm reading, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority of, on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know that. And then he said to the man, to the paralyzed man, all this time, this forgiven man is still lying on his mat, paralyzed. Jesus says to him in verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He has done what they cannot see, and then he does what they can see. Jesus is saying to them by his statement, the first one and the second one, he's saying to the Pharisees, but he's also saying to us that regardless of our physical condition, our greatest problem is sin. And our greatest need is forgiveness. Jesus by declaring this man forgiven, he is saying that what really matters is not what happens outside you, but what happens inside you. It is the internal that is supposed to influence the external. You did not understand that. One of the reasons here we don't have a dress code. Anthony, you're happy to hear that, right? Amen. Is <laughs> because we believe strongly that if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit will influence how you dress. Unless you intentionally refuse to listen to him. So we don't have to tell people you need to dress this way or this way. If God is, is transforming you in the inside, it will show on the outside. Is that clear? Yes. Amen. And we are patient. <laughs> we are willing to wait for God to work on us. I know for some of us that's not that easy. But we, we know that God takes time to transform lives. So Jesus heals this man. And he does this to show them that he has authority to forgive sins. The man walks up, wakes up, takes his bed, 
the bed that was carrying him, he carries it. Now see, when they were coming in, there was no way in, but now that Jesus has healed him, has transformed him, there is a way out. He doesn't have to go back through the roof. He can now use the door. When Jesus comes to your, to your life, he opens doors. He empowers you by his Holy Spirit to do greater things. He empowers you to have joy, to have peace, to be confident and hopeful in this life. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. When this man got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of them all, we are told this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. You think they are focusing on the healing. No, no. It's the revelation that Jesus has given them that he has authority to forgive sins. This amazes everyone. Everyone is rejoicing and praising God while the teachers of the law are frowning, frowning. They are angry. They are unhappy. People who hold so strongly on a, a theological position are usually very quick to be unhappy when their theological positions are questioned. That's why it's very important for you, instead of ascribing to a position, whether it's denominational or theological, make sure that that's what the Bible is teaching. You will be safer with the scripture than any theological position. I know what I'm talking about because I used to be one of them. And I used to be very unhappy. Because all the time I was looking for mistakes. When you start talking about salvation, I'm just waiting to hear where you will go wrong so I can correct you. And all the time I would be unhappy, I would be angry because I am uncomfortable with my own position. Until the Lord opened my eyes and I really realized that his ways are not our ways. But I also realized that uh, the safest place I can be is in God's word. If God's word says it, it doesn't matter which college you went to, it doesn't matter who you are. God's word will still stand. 
And I usually tell my friends, if you have any problem with what I'm saying, just show me from the scripture where I am wrong, and I will change my position very fast. Because I believe that God's word is above any other theological position. And we are safer there than anywhere else. If Jesus has authority to forgive sins, what does this mean to us? What's the implication? If he has authority to forgive sins, which means he is God, he actually says it so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He's telling the Pharisees and the scribes so that you may know that I am God because they have said no one can forgive sins except God alone. So Jesus is coming out here so that you may know that I am he. And if it's true that he has authority to forgive sins, what does this mean to us? I'm glad you asked. If Jesus has authority to forgive sins, it means that he is our great hope. He is our great hope. Jesus fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. But that doesn't make him great. He walked on water and calmed the storm. But that doesn't make him great. He changed wine, water into wine, sorry. But that doesn't make him great. Jesus is great because he has authority to forgive sins. Because sin is the greatest problem and the greatest sickness that we all have. What makes him our great hope is because we can turn to him for forgiveness of our sins. And this is what the Pharisees and the scribes are missing. This is what you and me need to know. The paralyzed people here are these theological heavyweights, are the teachers of the law. Anyone who is listening to us, either online or you are here, if Jesus is not yet your savior, you should know that you have an opportunity to be forgiven. He has authority to do this, to do that. He is the only way. His name is the only name. There is no other name. There is no other way. You can turn to Jesus today, acknowledge your sinfulness, and ask him for forgiveness. And he is willing to do that because he has authority to forgive. And when he forgives you, he makes you a new creation. 
You become part of God's family. And you will have the right to claim him as your great hope. Because without him, you are hopeless. Without him, you are paralyzed. You need Jesus Christ if you are not yet saved. But what about those who are saved? If Jesus is our great hope, there are two things we learn from this four men. One is that they loved their friend. They cared enough to bring him to Jesus. This is a, a show of love. They spent their time and helped making sure he gets to Jesus. But that also tells us that they have faith in Jesus. That's why they don't give up. That's why they're willing to dig through the roof. It's the kind of faith that keeps on loving. It's the kind of faith that keeps on going. If you have faith in Jesus, this Jesus, nothing will stop you. The crowd will not stop you. When the culture tries to stop you, you will still find a way because you have faith in Jesus Christ. People who truly have faith in Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. They can't. What, what does it take to stop? I, I like watching UFC. A, a, anyone watches UFC? <laughs> and I, I have some favorites fighters, you know, like Israel Adesanya, uh, the Diaz brothers. There's one thing about the Diaz brothers. Those guys can take punches. Like there's this fight, it was, uh, was it Nate Diaz and Mark Gregor, you know, this. And, 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 and Nate Diaz took a lot of punches, but he didn't give up. He was bleeding, but he's still coming back. He's still fighting. He's still there. Every time you expect him to be knocked down, he comes back again and he won that fight eventually. He submitted him. And I see that as the life of someone who has faith in Jesus Christ. You will face challenges, you will be hit here and there, and at times it may feel like you are being knocked out. But just when it feels like you are 
knocked out. It feels like it's the end, like you cannot go through. And then again, you are revived. Because of your faith in Jesus, you are able to keep on going. You are able to keep on loving and to keep on believing. And you know, loving is not an easy thing. Forget about the culture where people are quick to say, I love you, I love you. If you truly love, it will cost you. Loving someone is a commitment. It's a deliberate choice you make and you need to be committed to it. And it is costly. When you tell someone you love them, be sure you are committed. Don't just say it because it makes the other person feel good. Because the culture encourages making people feel nice. If you have faith in this Jesus, you will keep on loving. It will not be easy, but you will still keep on loving. And you will keep on believing because your faith will be tested. But because of Jesus, you will keep on believing. It's a sacrificial kind of love, but it's also a radical faith. They are willing to dig through the roof. They are not ashamed. They don't care what people will think or say. All they want is to make sure their friend gets to Jesus. Their focus is Jesus and nothing else. You know, the Bible says in, Rome, in, in Matthew 11 verse 12, in Matthew 11, verse 12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent shall take it by force. It's referring to people like this, people who are not ready to be stopped for the sake of Jesus Christ. People that are... We are enjoying our faith today because of people who are willing to give their lives. And today, we are so afraid to identify with this Jesus Christ. We need to have radical Christians. Christians who are not, are not afraid to be canceled. Christians who are willing to stand up against the ungodly culture because Jesus is our great hope. You know, this life has its share of obstacles, its share of hindrances, its share of challenges. And Christians are not immune to this. You pray and nothing seems to happen. You want to serve the Lord, but your health won't let you. 
you really want to serve and to do so much, but your health won't let you. You have conflicts in your relationships, and the enemy uses those conflicts to make you feel inadequate, to make you feel like the Lord cannot use you, to make you feel like a failure. When you realize that this Jesus is our great hope, when you believe that, when you are convicted of that truth, that Jesus is our best hope, our, our great hope, even though it may be difficult, you will keep on going. You may take very small steps, but you will keep on going. Many of us have friends and families who are yet to know Christ. And we've been praying for them, and at times we are tempted to give up. We are tempted to stop. When you realize that Jesus is your great hope, you will keep on going. Like the four friends, you will persist. You will not give up. If you're, if you're looking for reasons to give up, they are always there. Always there. Wake up in the morning and you just don't feel like getting off your bed. Sometimes they feel the same too. I tell my wife, I really don't feel like going to church today. And she turns to me, if you are feeling that way, what do you want us to say? And, and my wife can be very strong. And I would wake up so quickly <laughs> and start preparing. I need the same grace that you need. And I want to encourage myself that Jesus is my great hope. And because he is, I will keep on going.